Chapter Ten of One of My Sons by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, The Pencil. Under Sweetwater's careful guidance, the clock fell slowly back into place. It was one of those solid timepieces which seem to form part of the shelf on which they stand. When it was again quite level, he pointed to its face. The hand stood at half-past nine, just ten minutes previous to the time of my entering the house. "'At what hour did Mr. Leighton Gillespie go out to-night?' he asked. No one answered. "'Before half-past nine, or after it?' urged the coroner, consulting the faces about him for the answer he probably had no expectation of receiving from any one's lips. "'Leighton's all right,' cried out a voice from the library. I hate his puritanical ways, but there's no harm in him. It sounded like Alfred, but the impression made by this interruption was not good. Will you allow me to state a fact? ventured Miss Meredith, coming impulsively forward. If you hope to establish the guilt or innocence of any one by the time marked by these hands, you will make a mistake. The clock has been out of order for some days. Yesterday it ran down. I heard my uncle say that it would have to go back to Tiffany's for repairs. "'Fetch in the butler, or whoever has charge of this room,' ordered Dr. Frisby. "'Let none of you attempt to speak while he is present. I wish to interrogate him myself, and will have no interruptions.' We all drew back, and silence reigned in the spacious apartment, which lit up as for a dinner-party, was yet in such a state of disorder that the orderly old butler groaned as his eyes fell upon the heaped-up rugs, the overturned chairs, and the great table stacked with fine china and cut glass taken from the buffet and closets. "'Oh, what shall I do here?' he grumbled. "'What would master?' He did not finish, but we all understood him. The coroner pointed to the clock. "'When was this wound last?' The old man stared at the timepiece mumbled and shook his head. Then his eyes fell on Miss Meredith. "'I don't remember,' he protested. "'It has not been running for days, has it, Miss? I have had to use my watch in order to be on time with the meals. Why do you ask, sir?' He was not answered. This repeated closing up of every avenue of inquiry was beginning to tell upon the police. Mr. Gillespie looked very sober. "'Very sober indeed, when he found he had to drink his wine alone,' continued the butler with a melancholy emphasis calculated to draw our attention back to the scene, which had manifestly made such an impression upon him. He lifted up his glass and held it out a long while before he drank it. I think he looked at each one of his young gentlemen in turn, but I didn't care to watch him too closely.' for there was something solemn about him which made me feel queer, living so long as I have in the family, and with every one of these young gentlemen babies in arms when I came here. He drank it finally, standing. But there was no harm in that glass, sirs, for I finished the bottle myself afterwards, and I am well, as you see, more's the pity. Shut up, shouted an angry voice from across the hall. You are making a mess of the whole affair with your confounded drivel. The coroner motioned the butler away. The atmosphere of the house had now become oppressive even to me, and for the first time I experienced a desire to be quit of it, 
and would certainly have made some movement towards departure had it not been for my dread of leaving Miss Meredith alone with her own thoughts. Meanwhile, the coroner was issuing his orders. Dakin, request the gentleman upstairs to come down again for a few minutes. Dr. Bennett, the body of your patient can now be moved. Ah, here we are again, he exclaimed as Leighton was heard descending the stairs. Now, if the two other sons of the deceased will attend to my words for a moment, I will state that under the existing circumstances, I feel it my duty to call a jury and hold an inquest over Mr. Gillespie's remains. The file, smelling of prussic acid, having been found in the dining-room, I shall only require restraint put upon the movements of the two sons of Mr. Gillespie, who are known to have entered this room during the hour when this fatal dose was administered. The one called Alfred, having remained above, is for the present free from suspicion. I would be glad to show the same consideration to the others, but the facts demand a severity which I hope future developments will allow us to confine to the guilty party. Mr. Uthwaite, I must request you to hold yourself subject to my summons. Miss Meredith, I advise you to hold no communication with your cousins till this matter shows a clearer aspect. He was moving off when Alfred, who had been shifting uneasily under George's eye, stepped up to him and said, I don't want any discrimination made between my brothers and myself. I may be quite conscious of my own innocence, but I cannot accept any show of favors founded on a misconception. If George and Leighton are to be subjected to surveillance on account of entering the dining-room this evening, then I want to be put under surveillance, too for I was in that room as well as they, searching for a small gold pencil which I had dropped from my pocket at dinner-time. This acknowledgment, made under such circumstances, and against such odds, was calculated to enlist sympathy, and my heart warmed towards the man who in the heat of anger could strike a brother to the ground, but scorned at a less angry moment to take refuge in a misunderstanding which left that brother at a disadvantage. But the imperturbability of the elderly detective, who at that moment found something to interest him in the chasing on a Chinese gong hanging from a bracket in the hall, warned me not to be too quick with my sympathies. Kindly as he beamed upon this favored object of his attention, I saw he took little stock in the generous attitude assumed by Mr. Gillespie's youngest son and my attention being attracted to his movements, I was happily glancing his way when he suddenly approached Alfred with what looked like an empty tumbler in his hand. "'Is this the article you refer to?' he asked. And then when we saw that the tumbler was not empty, that it held a small object standing upright in it, and that this object was a gold pencil. "'Yes, that is my pencil,' Alfred acknowledged, but—' Oh, I am accountable for putting it into the tumbler, the old man admitted. The tumbler was a clean one, Mr. Gillespie. I assure you I examined it closely before making it a receptacle for this pencil. But the pencil itself, let me ask you to put your nose to it, Mr. Gillespie. It was a suggestion capable of but one interpretation. Alfred started back, his eyes staring, his features convulsed. Then he bent impulsively forward and put his nose to the object Mr. Grice held out. With what result was evident from the sudden damp which broke out on his forehead. End of chapter 10